0: Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Padma Lakshmi, where I ask her, What are you cooking up this fall? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I'm so excited to welcome our guest. She is a literal Emmy-nominated food expert, television host, producer, and New York Times bestselling author, but she's also someone who I'm lucky enough to get to call a friend. Welcome to Getting Curious, Padma Lakshmi. How are you? I'm good, Jonathan. How are you? Good. Um, People can't see, which is their loss, unless they follow social media, so they might get to see a little video of us, but this center part that you're serving us today, I I also was trying to do this thing where, like, I don't compliment all of my guests, like, physically because I'm trying to be, like, more of a journalist or something, but it's not going well. I'm still a hairdresser (laughs) at her, and it just is what it is. Um, But How are you? What's going on? How's your summer been? I just saw that you were in Paris.
1: I just got back from Paris last night. Um, My summer's okay. It's going by really fast, and it's really busy, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm also really overwhelmed, to be honest. I feel like I didn't even get to enjoy COVID kind of receding before this Delta variant is going full steam ahead. And, you know, one of the reasons I went to Paris is, you know, I would never go to Paris in August because everything is shut. But um, we just felt that it might be exactly right for us because we did want to be careful, and we did just want to lay low, but go somewhere that wasn't New York, because that's where we have spent most of the pandemic. And so my daughter, Krishna, who's 11, and I went to Paris. We skated at, you know, like in front of the Louvre and, um, you know, down in Ile St. Louis, and we had a great time. And I just feel like time is slipping through my fingers like sand. And I want to try and enjoy every moment that I have, doing something, whatever that is, it can be as simple as making a grilled cheese, which is what I did 20 minutes ago with Krishna, but just making sure that I stop, I enjoy what I'm doing, or I focus really hard and concentrate on whatever is important to me, because I do think that we're all getting, we're all trying to get back to normal, whatever the hell that means, but we're not normal. We've just been through collective a very traumatic, fraught time. So even if we were all in stasis and staying really still, we still went through something that was very anxiety producing and very adrenaline producing. And so I'm sure that other people are feeling like I am. I'm usually a very motivated, um, productive, ambitious person. I want to be. I always want to feel like I'm being productive and useful. But but lately, I just feel like how I can be better is by doing less, but doing it with more meaning,
0: if that makes sense. I'm hearing like a more quality over quantity message. Okay, not to get sidetracked, however, you mentioned that you just made a grilled cheese 20 minutes ago. Yes. What kind of cheese is? What was your method? How does Padma make a perfect grilled cheese? Now, here's the thing, everyone, I'll tell you this much. There is this one really exciting project that padma and i got to do together but i cannot tell you what it is yet and neither can padma but i can tell you this if and obviously you don't need to hear from me because you're a literal food expert and i'm sure most people listening to this do know that but you know your stuff when it comes to food you are not playing around on the food knowledge front so please tell me what did you like what happened on this grilled cheese like how do we how do we make the perfect one
1: So, this is a very simple, basic, but sublime grilled cheese. I like using San Francisco sourdough. I like the company Bread Alone, but there are many companies. I get sliced sourdough bread. I butter one side of the bread very luxuriously. And then I put it in a hot pan, in a nonstick pan. And then I put shredded cheese. I don't like the cheese slices. I like shredded cheese. And I like the fine shred. Um, I think it's Organic Valley has a brand that's Mexican blend or Stonyfield Farms or something like that.
0: You have just rocked my world. I'm so sorry, but I'm freaking out. Like, this is breaking news. No one's ever told me to do sprinkly cheese on. That makes so much sense, though. It's going to give you more of that pull. It's going to give you more of that, like... It's more quesadilla really, really style. Delicious.
1: Yes. Yeah. And so, so I put the bread in, I turn it on medium. Don't turn it too high, but you want a good heat, a good amount of heat. Then I put this, I sprinkle the Mexican blend, which is really just Jack and cheddar. Jack will melt really well. So will cheddar. Munster cheese will also melt really nicely. And then Gruyere as well. If you want something more grown up. And then you can put jalapenos on that. You can put (sighs) honey mustard on the inside of that. You can put sauteed mushrooms or pickled onions on the inside of that.
0: So, if you were going to do that though, would you do that? Like, do I do that like when it's not melted yet?
1: Yeah. You put it on top and then you butter one side of another slice of sourdough bread and you make sure the butter side is up. So you cover it and then you cover it you know, with a lid and hopefully a glass one so you can see what's going on, but even if not, and that's why you don't want the heat too high, but you, you know, you want to cover it. So you contain the heat and that's how you melt that cheese. Then when you see the cheese melting out from the sides, you know, lift, lift it up if you can't see, and then you flip it. And then on the second side, you leave it open because if you leave it closed the whole time, then you won't get crunchy on the outside of the bread, you, you need that crunch. So you don't, you know, you don't want to, um, trap the moisture, but for the first half, before you flip it, you need to contain the heat because the cheese will melt faster that way. And again, you're doing this on medium heat.
0: And then, and then what happens? Like, how do you serve it? You like, then you bring it out when it's like perf.
1: Yes. And you put it on a big plate and you bring it out and you just cut it in half but you leave it closed. So then when you open it, that's the big reveal and put like twice as much cheese as you think you're going to need. Okay. I'd rather have one good grilled cheese than four mediocre grilled cheeses. So the way to make your grilled cheese yummy is to put extra cheese in it.
0: Ah, uh, can I just say, it's like, I feel like there may be some listeners right now that when I first asked that question, were are like, oh, come on, like a grilled cheese, but it is harder than you think. I feel like some of the basic things, there's a total method to it and you have to like follow it or it doesn't turn out as good. And grilled cheese is totally one of those things I feel. It is. And I've been doing it wrong, apparently, like, because I've been doing like the dang slices. And I also feel like I heat it up hotter than Hades because it doesn't melt because it's like a big old slab of cold ass cheese.
1: Right. That's what happens because we usually take the cheese, you know, cold out of the fridge. And then you've got those first slices, which are nice, but won't give you as much melt as quickly.
0: Uh, I honestly, I didn't mean to like, I took such a hard right on learning about grilled cheeses in my question. I didn't mean to go there. I didn't know it was going (laughs) to happen. I took it back into my flow of questions. I'm so sorry. Okay, great. Wait. So you guys are in Paris. I really was living for that content. It was gorgeous. I saw some very good food. That was like being consumed on this trip. What was like the standout most amazing dish while you were there?
1: Honestly, we ate really healthy and it was so hot that we didn't want to eat anything really heavy. So, I mean, Krishna did have confit of duck one day um, because she's fabulous. Um, (laughs) I mean, literally, she was like, I really, you know, I'm going to get the poussin. I'm going to get the poussin, which is a baby chicken, a young chicken. Um, but then she saw the person at the next table get the duck and she regretted it. So the next day we went to get Conti of duck.
0: Why am I hallucinating? Did I not see some sort of like, was there one dessert on your stories? Like one, why do I feel like there was like... I think there, was there were
1: like lots a, of desserts. There were lots of desserts, and there's there was one with like these peaks of meringue, yeah, and then with like was like literally looked like a banana split with whipped cream and sliced bananas. Um, so you know we were ordering everything, and we ate healthy too. Like there's one that um, this place it was called the the art of fruit but it was weird Um, but it was so good because it was really healthy and they had these like gorgeous salads you know you go to France and whenever you order a salad it always has like a really rich dressing on it and it's like where's the sweet greens where is the toss? there's none of that (laughs) you know there's none of that thankfully but like um, there was this one place we just found in the Bastille and we just saw you know we were trying to Also, be safe where we were eating. So, we saw everyone else kind of spread out. And so, we thought, okay, that's a good place. And these salads came and they were gorgeous. And, you know, the French do know how to do salad if you just ask them to go easy on the
0: dressing. Ah, I wish, like, I feel like salad is kind of like working out for me in the sense that, like, once I do it, I feel amazing. But I've never, like, mmm, I want to go work out. Like, I'm never like, mm, you know what sounds like... I have to have done, like, a bunch of really unhealthy stuff for me to, like, crave a salad. Otherwise, my body just wants, like, processed shit. I hate it. It's a nightmare. It's because it's I'm Midwestern or something. I don't know what my problem is. But actually, I, I want to utilize more of your culinary expertise. Do you mind? No. Okay, so I... Like my husband's really into gardening and now we're like the Queens of like this, like Texas garden. We have like the most plentiful okra you've ever seen in your life. Oh yeah.
1: Texas okra is a big deal. It's the season right now too.
0: I have okra coming out of my ears. So like, do you have like a favorite okra? Like, do you love okra? Like, how do I make it? Are you into it?
1: So okra is really interesting because a lot of people don't like it because it can be slimy, but it doesn't have to be slimy. Okay, the way to cook okra is also on high heat. Ah. And I would make like a sauteed okra with ginger, garlic, and onion.
0: I'm literally taking notes. I'm like, if you see, I'm, I'm going to the right. I'm just taking notes. I'm not, not paying attention. Okay. What was that again? Ginger?
1: So um, heat some oil, like sesame oil or canola oil, um, like a high smoking point oil, like grapeseed oil is good too. Once it gets hot, add some cumin seeds, about a teaspoon. And then, um, once they slightly start to turn color, usually two to three minutes, add your sauteing onions. So, like, you know, if you chop them up really small, they'll take less time to cook. If you chop them up bigger, they'll take longer. But you just want to saute onions and the cumin together and cook them down. Add um, some chopped ginger and garlic as well. Once the onions get a little glassy and transparent, and then you can cut. Your okra in rings, um, like about a quarter inch thick. And you want to add the okra in there and just add like a really good curry powder.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah, just a smidge, like half a teaspoon of curry powder and salt to taste. And then just saute, saute, saute.
0: For like two to three minutes, you said?
1: Yeah, at least. Yeah.
0: At least, but maybe even longer or no?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're going to need, like, 15 minutes for
0: that... um, 15?
1: Yeah, for that okra to cook down.
0: Oh, my God, I'm so... Yeah, I've... So, I... My friend Julie's just been kind of, like, just frying it on the stove with, like, some olive oil and, like, salt and pepper. And it's, like, all right. It's, like, kind of spicy. But I was, like, I wish I could just, like, zhuzh this up with something. So this is perfect. Like, a little, like, soy uh, garlic ginger moment with onions. Mm -hmm. Yum.
1: Yeah, and you can also add chopped tomatoes and really let the tomatoes cook down, like, that is nice too. That's like more of a stewy. That's nice.
0: I also threw it in I've also been throwing it in chili. But it's like in the summer you're just like not really craving chili, which mm-hmm. is the thing.
1: No, it's too heavy. I mean, people put it in gumbo too. And that's you know, that's how they make gumbo. They also thicken they use okra as a thickener.
0: Mmm. Ah. So I think that's like all of my garden stuff that I feel like I've been like utilizing because I've been doing Baba Ganoush with our eggplants. Are
1: doing tomatoes at
0: all? Our tomatoes were just like a total fail this year. They just like, not, they, they were all just like, did it. They like literally all failed. Like all of our tomatoes had really plentiful okra, eggplant, jalapenos, cucumber, watermelon. I had some really good pumpkins till they were murdered by these like evil boar vine moths, but I don't want to talk about it. These poor listeners have already had to hear me like scream about it for. Untold Minutes. Have you ever heard of a squash borer vine moth, Padma?
1: No, but now I have.
0: They murdered my pumpkins. I will, I literally have like PTSD, like pumpkin trauma. They were so pretty and youthful and growing and like great until these moths that are wasp imposters, so you don't kill them because you think, I can't go into this again. The people are like, oh my God, don't turn this podcast off because all you ever does is talk about these borer vines. Ah! We're fine. Um, okay, so I feel complete. Oh, yeah. One more question before I'm going into our next segment. But what is something that's always in your fridge and your freezer that's like you always just have to have at home?
1: Um, yuzu juice. What's that? Yuzu juice is a Japanese citrus fruit. And it's kind of pricey, but one bottle goes a long way. And um, you can just use it in cocktails or salad dressings or you can toss ahi with it or any kind of sushi grade tuna or ceviche and it's delicious. Ah, I
0: love that. And it's called so Y-U-Z-U?
1: Yeah, Y-U-Z-U. You will recognize the taste. You've probably had it on like Yellowtail carpaccio at the Japanese restaurant or something and it's so floral it's It's sour like lemon juice but it's a little more sophisticated it's great in a margarita you have to get yourself a bottle
0: margarita, I'm on like a month detox right now because I went a little too hard on my honeymoon I feel so I'm just like having like a brief little detox but when I come, when I'm not on my detox yuzu juice and a margarita sounds amazing Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We are talking to Lakshmi who we love so much. Now, wait, here's the thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. You, this, you've just written a gorgeous children's book, which is Tomatoes for Neela. But this is your first children's book, right?
1: Yes, it's my first children's book. I'm so excited. It comes out on August 31st. And I'm really nervous about it because, you know, writing for kids is no joke. There's a real art and craft to it. Um, and here's the book. I
0: know your readers can't see. It. Oh my gosh. Uh this is such beautiful illustration.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And it's based on a story that I used to tell um my daughter, Krishna, all the time. And you know, she never knew when anything was in season. Why would she? Because she lives in America where you can go to the grocery store and get your, know, you know, most grocery stores, you can get everything all the time. And so I realized that, you know, kids don't know about eating in season and what's good for you and, and why it's important to respect everyone in our food chain. So that's what the book is about. Uh, I chose tomatoes because they're such a common ingredient in everyone's cuisine and, and everyone's kitchen. And so, you know, it's just about teaching kids the importance also of writing recipes down and passing down recipes. Because when you teach a kid to write a recipe, you're teaching them spelling, you're teaching them fractions and math. You're teaching them sequential ordering. You're teaching them how to write things in an order that are clear so that other people will understand. So all of these developmental skills that kids learn when they're growing up can be utilized in a fun way through recipe writing. And for many families, especially immigrant families, but not only, you know, food is how they connect with their family. Food is how they connect, especially with their elders um, like their grandparents, if they're not from, you know, they didn't. If their grandparents grew up in another country, it's a nice way to have a tie to your culture. So it's also an intergenerational story about three Asian women um, who cook together through, you know, just Skype and things like that. Because that's also a reality for many people now: is that you know we can't all travel to see our family right away, and so. Um, It's a way of bringing in members of your family that aren't necessarily there. It's a way of feeling closer to them. And so that's really what the book is about. But it also has a bunch of tomato facts and a couple of recipes in the back. And it gives you the history of the tomato and also some back matter about farm workers and you know respecting everyone who plays a part in our food chain.
0: I feel like I'm going to learn a lot from the book. And I'm 34. Like, this is an all-people's book, as it turns out. But it's just, like, really cute and has, like, stunning illustrations.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I really am excited. I've been working on it for a long time. We were really lucky to get um, this very, very talented illustrator named Juana Martinez-Neal. She's Peruvian and she's a Caldecott honor recipient. And at first when we asked her, she was our first resident, she said no, because she was too busy with all these other projects. And then she called us back and was like, hey, I rearranged some things and I think I can do it. And I'm so happy we got her because, you know, the illustrations in any children's book are so, so important. Um, But especially in this one, because we wanted to also get the skin tones right. You know, it's rare that you see different kinds of people in children's books. It's easier nowadays. But when I was growing up, all of the dolls, all of the toys, all of the books just had white skin, white skin. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's nice to see a diversity of faces, you know.
0: Is there an illustration that like really sticks closest to your heart from the whole book? I'm I'm sure it's hard to pick, but.
1: It is hard to pick, but I like this one because they're dancing around the kitchen. And this part of the book talks about how, you know, um, Neela loved it when her mom would, you know, shake spices into the stew or, or, or chop or use a box grater for carrots because she had bangles on her wrists. And that's a very Indian woman thing. You know, most Indian women you'll see always have bangles on. And, you know, she loved the sound um, that the bangles made and she could tell what her mom was doing by the rhythm of the sounds. And so I think that illustration is beautiful because it's very active and alive. And there's a lot of movement, which is hard to get in a static, you know, two-dimensional illustration,
0: but one, it did it beautifully. She really, really did. And it's like, I, this is so interesting because you are obviously really talented at conveying all things food on screen. You've also, cause you've also done incredible cookbooks, but how did you, and, and you kind of just touched on it, but how did you generally kind of, how did doing your first kids, look compare to some of the other mediums and how they interact with food? Did that question make sense? It did, right?
1: Yes, it totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I had to remember my audience. I think the, the ethos of what I was trying to say is the same, right? Whether I'm talking to you or I'm talking to an eight-year-old kid or my grandma who's going to be 90. It's all the Uh same. It's just the language that you use. I mean, I know you've written a children's book too. So you must have had to consider this. I think kids are super intelligent and I think they are capable of much more than we realize. I think that you just have to speak an age-appropriate language for them so that they don't tune out you just had to get it to them in smaller little bites, you know, smaller units. But um, I I was worried about that. I was really concerned that I wasn't, you know, I was concerned if there was enough going on in the story because they're basically just cooking tomato sauce for the winter, right? They go to the green market, they get a ton of tomatoes, and then in the course of the story, they make the tomato sauce and they save one jar at the back of the cupboard for the granny who's coming the grandma who's coming in winter for her, you know, holidays to spend with her grandchild. I was worried that there wasn't enough narrative and there was too much facts. Like there's a lot of tomato facts, a lot of tomato history. Um, There's, you know, stuff about farm workers. There's educational material. There's like an author's note. There's recipes. And, And then I was afraid, like, is this too much? But I figured that, you know, all the books that I and my daughter loved reading always had A lot of back matter, always had like just a lot of different stuff that we went back to. Unlike adults, kids will read the same book 50 times. You know, it just becomes this beloved story. So I'm hoping that, you know, there isn't too much stuff. And even if there is, that, you know, people don't have to bite it all off in one go like they can go back to it and be like okay today we're gonna
0: to read about the farm workers tomorrow maybe we'll try a recipe oh my gosh it sounds! i i can't wait to get it there's like so many kids who i want to get it for it sounds so cute it sounds so much fun okay but not to be like hashtag spoiler alert but like it, how many recipes is in there And like did you have like a favorite tomato recipe that people should maybe try first in there or no?
1: Um, there, okay, so if you, there are two recipes in the book, but if you buy it through Barnes and Noble, there's actually a third one for tomato rice um, because they did a special edition of the book as well. Um, there's a very basic tomato sauce that's in the book that you have the recipe in the back for. That I really recommend trying. It's so simple and it's so easy to do, but like, if you have that in your house, in your freezer, in your fridge, in your cupboard, you will always be thankful. You can make a million things with it. Just a basic tomato sauce. And then there's a tomato chutney recipe that I say you should swap out your salsa for. Because ah. it's so yummy. And it's also good to use in place of just regular um, pizza sauce. If you're making like homemade you know pizza toasties or something, because it's already spicy and has more vegetables in it and so you could you know the tomato chutney recipe actually you could use that as a base Jonathan you could just add okra to it
0: my mouth is watering so hardcore right now Papi. you do this to me every time I'm obsessed so tomatoes for Neela available for pre-order now and it's available August 31st right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes it's available for pre-order now and it'll be on sale everywhere on August 31st for pickup. pick up
0: Okay, so we are like rounding third base, not to use like a weird sports term. I don't know who I am, like some butch queen who uses like sports references, but we are rounding third base, coming into home, honey. Um, what are you, I mean, what's happening for you this fall? Like what's what's happening after Tomatoes for Neela? What is ahead for you?
1: Okay, so in October, I guest edited Eating Well magazine and I really did it. It's not just me on the cover and like pretending. I really went to editor editor's meetings that we pitched stories. We did everything like the layout. I've even, you know, just now signed off on all the layouts for, um, wow. I always wanted to edit a magazine. I used to write for Harper's Bazaar and Vogue and I had a syndicated column in New York times syndicate for a while. And it was always a dream of mine. I think I'm just like, super bossy, control detail-oriented person. So it was the perfect job for me. Um, so that's coming out as well in the fall. It's for the October issue. I also have in October an anthology of, you know, those best American series, like, you know, best American short stories, best American travel writing. So I did, I edited the best American travel writing for 2020, and that will be out um in October of this year. So if you're ever in an airport again, um, you can go on everywhere in the bookstores. So there was some really beautiful, interesting writing. At first, when they asked me to do it, I was like, why? Who said no? Because it's a really prestigious gig to do. Like, you know, Bill Bryson has done it, Tony Bourdain has done it, Cheryl Strayed. like really high-end writers have done it. And so They're like, no, no, nobody turned us down. We just thought you'd be great for it. And I was like, oh, okay. And um, (laughs) I was worried that there wouldn't be, you know, enough travel writing because no one went anywhere. But it is breathtaking. There's some beautiful, beautiful essays in there. And so that's coming out as well in October. So look for that Best American Travel Writing. And then Taste the Nation is back in November. Taste the Nation, um, it's not a full season. It's like a little mini seasonette because it was really, you know, it's a very intimate show, as you know. So it was hard to film in quarantine, but we managed to eke out four special episodes and we didn't want to like wait a whole another year before we you know streamed more episodes because we didn't want the trail to go cold. It's already been a year since the first season came out. So we decided to put a holiday spin on it. And I think it works beautifully because it's interesting to see how other cultures celebrate holidays. You know, so we have Korean New Year, called Surlal. We have um, a Noche Buena, which is a, a Miami Christmas Eve celebration with a whole roast pig. Um, because, you know, with communism, like they could only have a silent Christmas mm. in, in Cuba. So really like, the authentic Cuban Christmas, as it's been traditionally celebrated, is actually happening much more in Miami. So we were able to go there and meet with a few families and talk to them. And then we do Hanukkah with the Ashkenazi Jewish people of the Lower East Side. Um, and then we go to Cape Cod for Thanksgiving with the Mashpee and Aquinnah Wampanoag First Peoples. They've been here in America for 12,000 years. And we don't know much about them. All we know is that they were there with the pilgrims, but that whole Thanksgiving myth is total and utter bullshit. And so we just break down the myths and finally give these beautiful people and their culture the do that they deserve and talk about them and what their ways are.
0: I cannot wait to see that. That sounds incredible. The first scene was amazing, so I can't wait to see this special. It's gonna be so good. And then people it'll be on November Hulu. 4th. Yeah. November on Hulu. 4th. Hulu's still, right? Okay, great. Yay for Hulu. Can't wait for that. Okay, and then okay, so we got that. We got that. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. And then is there this is my last question. Um well, okay, so technically too. But is there like some like, you know how like chin to like collarbone haircuts have just been like in for like three years? Is there like a food trend that like has just, it's not going away? Like we haven't tried it yet. Like, is there just like, is there just like something that like, it's just like you're not like, you're not a grown up until you have X. Or is there like, is there just like some like food trend that like, we just need to know? It's like not a trend. It's like classically. We just, like, we just need to know. You know, well,
1: here's it. Here's what I think. I think that um, you should everyone should try black garlic. It's so delicious. And it's black, like black garlic. When you get it, you almost have to like squeeze it out of its peel. Right. And it's like kind of um, pasty and black. Mm. and And you can it gives so much umami flavor to anything you put it in. I put it now in my chicken stock. I do not make chicken stock without black garlic. And it is divine. It tastes like beef stock. It's so, so rich and so decadent and that deep, deep flavor and sweetness, weirdly like a savory sweetness that it gives your chicken stock is insane. You will never make chicken stock without it again.
0: Oh, my God, I love that so much. Okay, so now it's last moment. Um, is there anything that you would just see remiss that you didn't mention that you didn't say? Or are you just like really vibing on like an issue? Do you need to like, it's your recess, it's your moment. You can say whatever you want. You could also be like, I feel really complete and I don't really need to say anything else. Uh, and I'm going to go like make another grilled cheese because I got hungry. Or you could, it could be literally anything. It's your moment.
1: Thank you. Um, the thing that I will say is that there's a lot happening in our world right now. And, um, you know, Americans are feeling a lot of pressure, um, you know, with COVID, with wondering what's going to happen with school, which is opening soon. So if you're a parent, you know, everybody's nervous about that and the masks and all that stuff. But there are people who are much worse off than we are um, in Central America, in Afghanistan, in different places in the world. And so I would just encourage everyone to be as open-hearted and generous as you can, because that is the tradition of what being American is, of welcoming everybody here with open arms that needs it. And every time we've done that, like even after the Vietnam War, we took in a million and a half Vietnamese refugees, and they have been some of the most productive, successful members of our society from the golf shrimping industry in Louisiana and Texas to all of the nail salons and all of, you know, the scientists and educators and everybody who we have welcomed as a refugee who have given this country back so much, you know, I just, I know it's a hard time for people and I know it's hard to like wrap your head around, you know, letting this person in our border and that person in our border, but I just want to remind everybody that there is plenty in America to share. And giving something away is always most beneficial to the person doing the giving. Mm,
0: that was beautiful. Papman, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you so much. We love your work. We're just such big fans of you and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me on, Jonathan. It's really nice to spend this time with the MCU again.
0: You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Padma Lakshmi. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, honey, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. Yes, 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 yes. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious with JVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Emily Bosick.